1: Welcome in to Extra Point here on KDOS AM 1060, online at kdos1060.com. And now with the new KDOS 1060 app, Apple and Android users download and take advantage of the listener rewards available to you. It is Wednesday. It is March 1st. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro, with you up until 1230 today. We're making room for ASU women's basketball as they get the Pac-12 tournament started. Hosts, well, they're not hosting. They're in Las Vegas taking on uh, UCLA. Jeff Munn will have pregame starting at 1230 and tip off at 1 p.m. right here on KDOS AM. M1060. We'll catch up with Joe DeLeon, believe in NFL draft prospects here on the program around 1115 to discuss all things NFL combine. Uh, we certainly have some interesting news coming out of a top prospect today with Jalen Carter and now the warrant out for his arrest. Uh, we'll get into and he, of, of course, was a potential fit for for the Cardinals at number 3, so we'll continue to be monitoring all of that situation moving forward. Jonathan Gannon, uh, Monty Osenfort met the media yesterday. We'll dive into a little bit of that and then just get uh, Joe DeLeon's uh, impressions about what to expect for this week's NFL Combine from Indianapolis. But let's set the scene with today's poll questions, and we'll start first with the KDOS1060.com poll question. Which NFL team would be the best fit for Derek Carr? The options are Carolina, New Orleans, and the Jets. And Bob, New Orleans continues to lead 67% of the vote. Carolina trailing at 33%. And the Jets still getting absolutely no votes.
2: Yeah, I'm a little surprised at that, needless to say. But, you know, it shouldn't be that lopsided. But it is.
1: It is indeed. And moving things up, we'll answer the question today around 1215. Flipping this on over to Twitter at KDOSAM1060, will a Big East team reach the Elite Eight in the NCAA tournament? Bob caught up with Adam Baum with the Cincinnati Inquirer to talk all things Xavier and Big East. If you missed that conversation, podcast over at KDOS1060.com. So yes or no. And this is actually a little closer than I was anticipating it being. But yes, out in front at 54.5 percent of the vote no sitting at 45.5 percent on twitter at kdus am 1060
2: yeah uh, i guess you you know people maybe don't realize that you you know the final four for instance isn't going to be like four teams from the big 12 i'm pretty sure about that now it probably will be since i said that <laughs> uh but uh you know actually if you take a look at the big 12 i think some of those teams and it's not just beating up on each other and all those you know you know you know, people that you know come, that come up with that uh, theory, which I don't think is particularly well thought out. Uh, I think there's been some separation in the Big 12. I don't think there's been separation at all in the Big East, however. There's five teams, and unfortunately, you know, two of those teams have had some pretty significant injuries. And actually, if you want to count Villanova, uh, I think right now, going into the Big East tournament next week, and uh, you know, Villanova won last night at Seton Hall. Uh, they're a really good team since they're now healthy. And, you know, they obviously, Justin Moore was injured last year during the Final Four and tore his ACL and came back, I believe he came back like midway through January a little bit and then uh, last night they so last night was the first night I've, I've heard them mention that there's no minutes restriction on him at, at any point now, and that's a good thing because he had he made like a hundred free throws in a row to clinch that game last night against Seton Hall. He I mean, a little less than a hundred, more like ten, but uh, yeah, they got the ball into bounds to him every time, and when he's out there, and you know they have four guys that played in the Final Four, started for them last year in the Final Four and then Whitmore is uh, their freshman guy, the fifth guy, and he's expected to be a one-and-done lottery pick guy. So they're they're pretty darn good, and uh, as I mentioned earlier this week, uh, you know, I'm kind of interested, even though I think the value is uh, falling down every day and you know, decreasing every day, but I'm interested in Villanova, at least in the Big East Tournament some next week. They're going to have to win the Big East Tournament to go to the NCAA Tournament, though.
1: Uh, so we'll get into that more answering today's poll question around 12:15 today. Of course, uh, Kevin Durant, he's set to make his debut with the Phoenix Suns tonight. We'll get into more on that in today's program. But I first want to start with some things that caught my attention in regards to Jonathan Gannon and Monty Fort meeting the media in Indianapolis yesterday, getting things started for NFL Combine Week. Uh, there weren't a whole lot of real substantive answers to these questions and, and that makes sense they're still very new on the job they have a lot of evaluating to get done but there are some key pieces uh that they have to start to un- uncover and unfold and see how this Whole offseason is going to shape up for the Arizona Cardinals heading into the draft. Uh, But when Monty Austinfort was asked about DeAndre Hopkins, uh, and this is the thing that caught my attention here. Austinfort said, I've had a conversation with DeAndre and DeAndre's representative they have been productive conversations of course the theory here is that deandre hopkins doesn't want to be on the arizona cardinals what could potentially the cardinals get in return for him many people think probably a a second round pick maybe a compensatory pick as well a conditional pick if you will Uh, but when it comes to what austin fort said hop having a representative is new because hop didn't have an agent when he signed his last contract with the Arizona Cardinals. So maybe that leans into more of the thought process and direction that DeAndre Hopkins wants to go if he wants to have a representative handling these talks.
2: Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you know, quite frankly, and I've said this for years and years and years, uh, from now until really through the draft, I find it pretty difficult to believe that anything that anybody says – Uh, from the NFL regarding this is they're all just posturing Uh, and and maybe I shouldn't say all of them but a large none of a large number of the stuff uh, that we hear this week and from now until draft time is you know it it, they're trying to improve their enhance their own situations and and lie in some cases I'm not saying that uh, you know Austin Ford is uh, lying but you know it's, it wouldn't be a shock if they're kind of stretching the truth. They're just trying to you know get drum up more business uh, in some cases. and certainly I think uh, you know, you know, I'm not disputing the Hopkins thing, but I would assume that it might drum up a little more business. I would also be really, really, really surprised, can't stress really enough here if they got more than a third round pick for Hopkins because I don't think the Cardinals have any bargaining position here whatsoever.
1: Well, to your point about just kind of making a position be known, uh, Austin Fort did say that he is interested in fielding calls for a trade out of the number third overall pick. And you absolutely have to say that if you're Monty Austin Fort, you have to leave all options on the table. One of the other things that stood out to me here, uh, the free agent conversation, this roster could potentially look entirely different, uh, whether or not it's the offensive line, the defense, Uh, there's certainly questions marks as to who you want to have come back to this roster but two key players on the defensive side of the ball are free agents to be Zach Allen and Byron Murphy Austin Ford said uh, Zach and Byron are both good players we'd love to keep them there is obviously a financial component these discussions will continue to take place we'd love to keep everybody we'd love to pay everybody but unfortunately the way the league is set up it's not always possible so let me pose this question here If you had to only pick one of these guys, Zach Allen or Byron Murphy, to be able to re-sign and come back and be an Arizona Cardinal, who should take precedent? Who should the Cardinals most want?
2: Uh, I would take Murphy. Uh, This is nothing against Allen, who has actually been a better player, Uh, more consistent player to me than Murphy has been. But uh, considering the Cardinals' long stretch, even when Patrick Peterson was here, uh, but how many times have we asked who's the op- the corner opposite Patrick Peterson or who's the starting corners, et cetera? and the fact that Murphy actually did improve last season and became more than just a slot corner, I would have to say him. Uh, also, you know, going back to you know kind of what I was saying before, yeah, you know, they have no you know, you know they didn't draft either of these guys. So you know, I think that they probably like both of these guys, but you know, there's a. 30-some free agents on the Cardinals roster and you know, they're not going to sign them all. Even if they wanted to, they couldn't sign them all. I wouldn't want to sign them all because, as you mentioned, the offensive line, I I only know of one offensive lineman, and I'm you know, fairly certain and I'm pretty certain that you know the left tackle, Humphreys, is going to be on this roster next year. Anybody else that started this year going to be around?
1: On the offensive line? Yeah. Huge question mark.
2: Yeah, so... It's going to they're, they're, be, a, you know, a, I don't even know where they start to rebuild. I mean, it's a mess. Uh, and I'm sure they realized that when they came here. And uh, I don't really know. I, I was trying to think of who might, what might actually be a team strength of the Cardinals heading into next season, and I don't have an answer. I'm not real sure. I don't think they're blessed with an abundance of players really any position.
1: You know, I think that's a really good point because uh, you can't say wide receiver because there's some free agents there, Hopkins, that whole entire situation. Uh,
2: Rondell Moore can't stay healthy.
1: Yep. Uh, You then have the quarterback situation where you have Kyler Murray obviously rehabbing. You have Colt McCoy with an unspecified injury that Michael Bidwell said he may not be available to start camp on time. Uh, So that's not a great situation. I had
2: somebody ask me about Carson Wentz coming here yesterday. Somebody asked me whether he would come here. And my response is, why the hell would you want him?
1: Uh, I had someone ask about Carson Wentz. I also had someone ask about Marcus Mariota as well.
2: I would go with Mariota before I went with Carson Wentz. So at least Mariota, he has a a run dynamic to him. Uh, I've seen Wentz in three places in three years, and he's failed in all three. I'm done with Carson Wentz if I'm in the NFL at this point. As a starting quarterback, he'd be a, a deep, deep backup and only a guy that would be almost a desperate addition at this point.
1: Uh, On the offensive side of the ball, I know Zach Ertz is rehabbing his ACL injury, the tight end position. Uh, You saw some necessary playing time for the rookie. Uh, Would you go with the running back position?
2: I have no idea. I don't know. I'm
1: stumped. You had a great question there.
2: Yeah, I even thought about a poll question, or not a poll question, but a pipeline question. Leonard Fournette's going to be released. Should the Cardinals be interested in Leonard Fournette? Oh, gosh. Yeah, that's exactly, that's kind of why I didn't put it in the pipeline. But I did think about it.
1: Uh, the other thing that caught my attention about things that Austin Ford said is that the Cardinals have not yet made a decision on the fifth year option for linebacker Isaiah Simmons. That, of course, is coming up for the 2024 season for that fifth year option. And uh, there's many question marks about for him. And now, to your point, an entire new staff and a new front office. Do they value him the same?
2: Yeah, why would you, quite frankly? And he's been a huge disappointment. That's the guy I wanted them to draft. They drafted him, and I don't think he's been a very good player.
1: Joe DeLeon, host of Believe in NFL Draft Prospects and the first-team show on Stadium. Coming up on the other side of the break, it is The Extra Point.
0: KDUS AM 1060 is the home to the Dan Patrick Show, the Doug Gottlieb Show, and Map Radio. Catch all the sports content here on AM 1060.
1: Welcome back to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS1060.com. And now with the all new KDOS 1060 app, we pop on out to the KDOS hotline as we're going to have an NFL combine conversation. Joe DeLeon, host of Believe in NFL Draft Prospects and the first team show on Stadium Network. You can follow Joe on Twitter at Joe DeLeon. Joe, it's Bob and Kayla. Thanks so much for the time today. How are you?
3: I'm doing great. We got the combine about to kick off. We're getting uh, even closer and closer. And I've been saying this all week it's a Christmas time for me getting to uh, follow all the draft headlines and cover everything going on uh, over the weekend.
1: Well, let's hope we can keep that Christmas atmosphere here for you. And we'll start with, of course, everyone's favorite topic, the quarterbacks. Uh, C.J. Stroud, Anthony Richardson, Will Levis, they all are said to be throwing at this week's Combine. Bryce Young will wait to throw at his Alabama Pro Day. When it first comes down to it, what are some of the pros and the cons of throwing at the Combine? And of these quarterbacks, who could this help or hurt most?
3: Yeah, I think that the pros and cons really depends on the prospect that's participating and like you asked at the end there who can hurt and help themselves the most is the real key uh piece to this so i look at a guy like will levis and anthony Richardson, two guys who are really good athletes then doing the physical testing is going to help put into perspective just how physically dominant that they can be but at the same time there's a lot of question marks on how accurate they are how consistently accurate they are how will they bounce back when maybe they miss a couple of throws Those are the biggest issues for those guys that are a lot more raw compared to Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud. So they need to step into these these passing drills. They just need to be consistent and at least look above average in my eyes. They don't need to go perfect to finish the day because we know that there are some deficiencies in their throwing. But as long as they show some positive signs of life, I think that that is uh, really, really great for those guys. For somebody like C.J. Stroud, you already know how good he is. Just show up, do your thing, don't overthink it, don't get too high or too low. We know that he's a very natural thrower, probably the most natural thrower in the class, and getting to get a feel for how he compares to the other two guys who are probably going to struggle at times in real Others and Anthony Richardson. And for Bryce Young, who's not even throwing, he's not even participating, this is an instance of everybody knows how accurate he is. Everybody knows how consistent he is. He doesn't need to show up and go out there and maybe cause more question marks if he for some reason doesn't go perfect or a little bit less than perfect during the throwing drills where he's going to win is showing up during these team interviews and meeting with his team and showing it on the whiteboard, showing off his football IQ, which is probably the best, in my opinion, amongst all of the quarterbacks. Is just very reactive, a great decision maker, and he can show that in these interviews by just focusing his attention on that and not worrying about the on-field stuff.
2: The fact that Jalen Hurts was so successful this year in his second year as the Eagles starting quarterback, th- does that help Levis and Richardson? Who, you know, Levis was a runner before he, you know, when he was at Penn State, before he got to Kentucky, and obviously Richardson, we've seen his running ability when he's at Florida.
3: Well, I think it especially helps them for the fact that Chief Dyson, who's the new Colts head coach, is picking at number four, and he actually <laughs> might be trading yeah. up even if he wants to go get one of his guys. I think that Will Levis, or Anthony Richardson make the most sense for Sycheon as the new head coach uh, for the Indianapolis Colts for all the reasons you just said, where he built an offense around one of the best athletes in the NFL, and he helped his development, he helped Jalen Hurts' development as a passer by letting him lean on his rushing ability but not overusing it to the point where he was getting hurt like someone like Lamar Jackson uh, or like Tyler Murray. And I think that seeing the physical tools that Anthony Richardson especially or Will Levis brings to the position are exciting. And it's not like they're smaller, more compact runners. They're big, strong guys like Jalen Hurts. I think there's a lot of parallels that you can make, especially for when both of those guys coming in now and when Jalen Hurts came into the league, there were questions of this, if Jalen Hurts could be a consistent quarterback, if he could be a starting quarterback, because – He was never really asked to win games as a passer, but we now feel comfortable he is being able to play a well-rounded game, and I think both of those guys will fit perfectly with the Colts. Uh, And then maybe if some teams try to play copycat, uh, if they want to go get their own version of Jalen Hurts, I'm sure that there will be some teams trying to do the same as well.
1: The quarterback position, we all know that that makes everything go in the NFL, and therefore we get so enamored with them and maybe talk ourselves into a quarterback being better than he is. But you just kind of went through this evolution of Jalen Hurts and how he's grown being a quarterback in the NFL. How do we then kind of balance this with finding uh, whether or not this quarterback class is a strong quarterback class and whether or not there's some potential for people to grow into it? We really want, I think, expectations to be delivered year one, year two?
3: Yeah, I think that describing this class as a strong one is the best way to put it. Um, I think that it's definitely getting propped up propped up by the fact that last year's class was just, it was so bad. It was such a weak group that the only guy who was selected in the first round and the only one who's probably going to be uh, a starter, I, don't, I can't even really necessarily say long-term starter, was Kenny Pickett. This year, there are so many teams that hunted on drafting the quarterback that really is driving up the value of the quarterback position. But the way that I see it with needing these guys to be uh, ready and available um, year one and year two and be ready to have an impact, I think that we need to look at the different degrees of quarterback development across the league. And I think teams just need to be more patient with certain guys. There's guys like Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud who should start right away and need that experience. And then there's guys like Will Levis and Anthony Richardson who it might benefit them to not be rushed into it, maybe the back half or the back end of their first season before they step onto the field. But I don't think that there's a a perfect formula for getting guys onto the field. But I, I do think that what is always important is building a strong roster around these guys and allowing them to flourish with pieces around them instead of asking them to do everything.
2: Okay, so we've covered the pitchers here. Uh, On to the catchers, uh, the receivers. I've, I've seen and heard lots of different opinions of, you know, the receiver rankings or so to speak heading into the draft here. Who do you like?
3: Yeah, this, this year's receiver class is not – it doesn't have an alpha in it like we've had in the past. And last year was a down year, but we still had Darrell Wilson, who's phenomenal, Chris Olave, who's phenomenal, and Jameson Williams who didn't even play because of his injury who's also a very explosive, dominant player. Um, but this year's grouping, we we have a lot of really fast, explosive guys, and I think the combine is where we're going to see some separation. There is this, this chunk of guys that all kind of fit the same description of being very fast, deep threats. I'm talking about Jalen Hyatt from Tennessee, uh, Zay Flowers from Austin College, Josh Downs from North Carolina, and then I'd also throw in there Parker Washington from Penn State. All of those guys – fit that mold of being very fast, explosive, deep threats that probably aren't the number one receiver on a roster, aren't the go-to target, but are a really important key secondary piece, kind of like what Jalen Waddell did for Tyree Hill this year, where if he's the primary guy, maybe not as productive, but because he has uh, Tyree Till to play off of, it opened up his game. So I think we've got a lot of those guys. I think that the guy I'm, I really like the most is Jalen Hyatt. I think that he showed me a lot towards the end of this year. But there's just, it can go in any direction. I think that you can pick any of those guys for any team, and I'd be happy with the results.
1: Joe DeLeon, host of Believe in NFL Draft Prospects and the first team show on Stadium Network. You can follow him on Twitter at Joe DeLeon right here on KDOS AM 1060 in the Extra Point. So another pass catcher, but also does so much and can be a young quarterback's best friend, the tight end position. Uh, the way that we see tight ends play now, the athleticism, the skill set, the mismatches that they create. How is this year's tight end class and, and who stands out?
3: Yeah, this year's tight end class is really deep, which is is a bit rare. And I think that it's hard to find young tight ends that can step in and play right away. Uh, But this year's class, I think we've got a couple of guys who fit that description. And the two that are getting the most buzz is one, Michael Mayer, who is the closest thing that we've had to Gronk come out of the NFL draft, uh, where he is just a very tenacious blocker, But at the same time, he's a really good route runner. He has really sure, consistent hands is going to be somebody who catches maybe like 80, 90 balls a year and has an immediate impact as a rookie. I, I wouldn't be shocked, and I, I don't think this is hy- hyperbolic at all, that Michael Mayer could be a, a top-five tight end in the NFL by his second season. He's back of a player, and if he's in an offense that's willing to use him as such and get him a lot of catches, he has that feeling. Don't get is the other one who is getting a lot of buzz right now, who I see him more as a second-round pick not as willing to block, but if you play him out in space, put him in the slot, I think that's where you're going to get a lot more value for a Dalton Kincaid. What excites a lot of people is his after-the-catch ability, what he brings to the field when he's got open space around him. He's not somebody who's going to naturally create a lot of separation, but when he has good space, he can be dangerous. Uh, So he is definitely the second guy for me. But some other names to pay attention to, Luke Musgraves, who's from Oregon State, can test really well. Darnell Washington from Georgia is a massive, massive kid. Uh, but just overall, this this kind has of got a lot of nice names. Tucker Craft from South Dakota State, another one I would pay attention to, that could step in and become really key players on a lot of rosters.
2: You mentioned Washington, uh, one of his teammates at Georgia, Jalen Carter, and obviously the off the field situation has been a hot topic today. How might that alter what the NFL thinks of him?
3: Yeah, I think that this late in the process, and I-, I can't speak with absolute certainty because I I don't have. The opinions of NFL evaluators to back this up right now, but just from like what we've seen in the past, this happening early enough but late enough in the process, it it might really negatively impact uh, his his draftability. And I, I think about when I'm with Lyle Collins, who that broke right before he uh, he was drafted the news of, of, of his criminal history that wasn't even totally proven, um, but that was enough for him to go undrafted. And I think for Jalen Carter, this is a really bad situation. It seems like there's a lot of evidence. I know that the situation is still, you know, it's innocent until proven guilty, but there's still a lot of evidence that even if he gets off in this circumstance, I know a lot of NFL teams are going to be thinking, why am I drafting a kid who's, who's going to be doing stuff like this, who has, has done something as this done before? How can I trust him that he doesn't do something dumber and get arrested and get put in jail for good? And I think that the other thing, too, is that we are not that far removed. I know it's a little bit long ago, but we're not that far removed from the Henry Ruggs situation. I know that it is not a direct one-to-one, but a lot of teams are going to be thinking to themselves, I don't want any to touch anywhere near this. I don't want to have our own Henry Ruggs situation of, if I draft this kid really early in the top ten, I and mean, I then he never plays again because he does something dumb. Uh, I, I just think that the NFL is very reactive. and overreactive to things like this. I don't know if it makes him undraftable, but I think that it will significantly hurt his draft stock because with criminal charges, with everything that's going on and, and surrounding it, a warrant for his arrest, none of it is good. It's, it's just a really—it's it's terrible that this is happening to a kid uh, right before what was supposed to be the biggest job interview of his life.
1: Let's stick with the defensive side of the ball and specifically the pass rushers. So, of course, Jalen Carter and Will Anderson were uh, hot names for the Cardinals at the number three overall selection. But as we slide down a little bit further, some other names, uh, you know, you have Tyree Wilson from Texas Tech, Miles Murphy from Clemson, even Lucas Van Ness from Iowa. What do you make about this defensive pass rushing grouping of players in the 2023 NFL draft class?
3: Yeah, I think the Arizona Cardinals, first of all, sit in a really good spot. They they are in a really, really great spot where if two teams trade up to draft the quarterback or Houston stays where they are and there's two quarterbacks selected, they can snag Will Anderson if they sit a three. And you're getting an elite generational pass rusher. You're getting a guy that is so high motor, that is so physically dominant. It wasn't as this productive this, this past year, but I said this at the beginning of the season that I, I, I was wary that Will Anderson was going to be so focused on by opposing offensive lines that he wasn't going to be as productive. But we know the traits. We know his background. We know what he's capable of doing. He is the best player by far for me in this draft class, uh, next to Jalen Carter, separate from the on, on off-the-field issues. But if they decide to trade back, I, I think that Tyree Wilson is a long, explosive player alongside Lucas and that's just tall, long, rangy dude uh, that would be immediate impact uh, defensive engine, and pass rushers for this this uh, this Cardinals defense, but I, I'd also throw in there Kalilja Canty, I'm a big fan of his. From Pitt. I think that he's a defensive tackle. He's on the smaller side at six foot two eighty, very twitchy, fast, explosive, um, very hard to block because he's low, so low to the ground. That I would consider him a name to pay attention to if the Cardinals trade back somewhere around ten. He's somebody that would make a lot of sense and would be very problematic for opposing offensive lines in the NFL
2: away from the Cardinals even though well, maybe the Cardinals but uh they could every team could use a running back but running backs in the draft and it's kind of almost an afterthought these days but Bijan Robinson is a, a kid that went to high school in Tucson showed a lot of uh you know qualities that made you think then he was going to be an NFL running back what do you think of him and how early might he go uh for
3: for Bijan I think that him getting selected uh, in the top 10 is very realistic. I think what's most likely going to be the case for him uh, is someone or a team that has a little bit more of a settled offensive situation or just a settled roster in general. I think you got to look at what the Philadelphia Eagles, their situation of them sitting at 10. They don't trade out of that pick. Uh, I think that they've got a very complete roster. And you plug in Dijon, an already dominant rushing attack. He is going to be... So unstoppable in the NFC East, but outside of that, I think that him going in the top 15, top 20 to a team that has, again, a more settled roster, doesn't have any major needs is realistic for any of these running backs.
1: Joe DeLeon, host of Believe in NFL Draft Prospects in the first team show on Stadium. Follow Joe on Twitter at Joe DeLeon. Last question here for you, and it's just kind of a broad question. For you, when you look at uh, these intangibles, these measurements, these metrics, do you think that all of them are really important to the process of the evaluation? And what metrics and measurements do you think are overrated?
3: Yeah, I I think that, well, first of all, I think the 40 time is one of the most overrated. I think what's Way more important is the short area quickness for any of these athletes. There's a lot of proof of vertical jumps and, and short area quickness, drills the, the three cone and the five ten five. If you if you have really elite lateral quickness, that's a lot more dangerous because of the short area space and nature of the game of football and how quickly you can redirect. But I think in general, the measurement for me, it's just adding context and knowing um, physically, like how certain guys fit. Um, and just having something to turn to to say, OK, this guy looks like he has the length and the height on film, but does he actually have it in real life according to his measurement? So I think just having the context is important. It's just an added variable. It, ultimately, the combine is most important for the medical rechecks and for the interviews done with uh, these teams and the players that they're, most, they're the most interested in.
1: Joe, this has been fantastic. We look forward to doing it again here as we inch closer to the NFL draft. Thank you so much for the time.
3: Thanks for having me. Enjoy the rest of your
1: day. You as well. Joe DeLeon, there, host of Believe in NFL Draft Prospects in the first team show on Stadium. Follow him on Twitter at Joe DeLeon. This statement now coming from Jalen Carter. Uh, the Georgia defensive end. This morning, I received a telephone call from the Athens, Georgia Police Department informing me that two misdemeanor warrants have been issued against me for reckless driving and racing. Numerous media reports also have circulated this morning containing inaccurate information concerning the tragic events of January 15th, 2023. It is my intention to return to Athens to answer the misdemeanor charges against me and to make certain that the complete and accurate truth is presented. There is no question in my mind that when all of the facts are known that I will be fully exonerated of any criminal wrongdoing. So we'll obviously be now continuing to monitor Jalen Carter's off the field situation. That's
2: true. Uh, one other quick thing about the combine. Um, you're going to hear a lot of people complaining from the media that it may be leaving Indianapolis. And I understand that. But also I think there's a lot of the media people who just kind of like uh, the Indianapolis setting. And the uh, you know, St. Elmo's and everything downtown is right there. And, uh, but there's going to be a lot of bitching and moaning from the media. I'm not really sure whether it should stay in Indianapolis or go somewhere else. But it looks like it's going to go somewhere else after next season
1: linebackers defensive line workout thursday dbs friday qbs wide receivers tight ends on saturday running backs and offensive linemen on sunday your turn to get into the program 602-260-1060 if you'd like to join 602-260-1060 we'll have much more of the extra point here on KDOS am 1060
0: Interact with Bob Kim's poll question on KDUS1060.com. That's KDUS1060.com. And while you're there, check out Bob Kent's bottom line at KDUS1060.com.
1: 11:43 here on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS1060.com and now with the all new KDOS1060 app download the app and take advantage of the listener rewards that are available to you specifically as well the Porta Sub spring training that we have going on you here's what we do lunch for 2 port of subs for a year 2023 spring training tickets which is set for the d-backs versus reds game on march 24th it's a 110 start two tickets and a parking pass you just download the kdos 1060 app apple and android users are eligible listen every day for your chance to get one entry per day into the grand prize drawing and it's all happening at the kdos 1060 app brought to you by port of subs and when it comes to port of subs well with the weather here not looking great it's time to enjoy their grilled chicken melt as their bundle option their featured hot signature sub is the chicken melt tender grilled chicken with provolone sounds like a perfect option for lunch today as promised we're heading on out to the kdus hotline for phone call time 602-260-1060 and we have matt in phoenix what's on your mind today matt
0: Kayla, how are you bob how you doing we're good, good. Good. I'm not sure what you're talking about uh, in regards to the weather. I'm outside right now, and it is beautiful uh, to me. So it's supposed uh, to be nice next week. To, <laughs> I could move to Seattle if my wife let me, but, uh, yeah, that's not on the list uh, of her priorities. So if the Diamondbacks don't go over the win total, though, I might be moving to Seattle on my own. So um, I did want to talk a little bit about the NL West. Um, I think the Lux injury is massive. Mainly for the lineup, obviously, Bob, we've talked about questions offensively, but they're probably going to get better there with Rojas instead of Lux. But um, obviously a big offensive uh, reduction um, at shortstop. Um, I already bet San Diego plus 130 to win the NL West. Um, I would think if the Dodgers are worse, it also helps my investment in the Diamondbacks' win total over. Um, so I think San Diego now is, I don't want to say head and shoulders, but uh, I would make them a clear favorite in the NLS.
2: Yeah, I think it's a, a, a big deal to some extent, even though I'm not exactly been the biggest Gavin Lux fan in the world. I I'm just aware. never <laughs> not quite understood any of the hype here. I don't think he could have played shortstop. I don't yep. think he would have been their regular starting shortstop for an entire season had he been given the opportunity. I don't think he can play second base. He definitely can't play left field. Correct. Uh, so I, I don't. I I wouldn't be surprised. In fact, I even heard uh, Dave Roberts yesterday mention the possibility of you know, Chris Taylor getting some more infield reps. And, I read uh, that as well. Yep. Yeah. So that makes total sense. And uh, so I don't think it's nearly as dire as the the Dodgers uh, fandom seems to think it is.
0: Okay. Um, I have a working theory about the pitch clock that I wanted your opinion on here. It's more so from a, a wagering perspective. So most starters seem to have a tendency to want to work fast, get the ball, get rid of it. I mean, Scherzer, Verlander, guys like that, uh, specifically isolating my team. But um, uh, And as a result, I think the hitters are more impacted. So I'm kind of right. looking at first five unders as a result and then maybe in-game totals over when relievers come in the game who have a tendency to be very, very slow and have that historic uh, you know, establishment of, of being very slow workers, what, what's your thought on that uh, kind of out there theory?
2: I think that might be something to do early in the season, but I've already okay. seen, you know, it seems like, uh, you know, some. You know, after you know, just a handful of spring training games, you know, clearly the pace is much faster and yep. that's what they want. And Absolutely. it's a much more enjoyable product, I'm sure, to watch, uh, whether you're live or you know, watch it on television. Sure. But I think that uh, we already had some players, uh, you know, adjust. I do think it's a bigger adjustment actually for the hitters than it is the pitchers. Totally and right. you know, there's a lot of younger pitchers, obviously, that have been in the minor leagues in recent years that yep. are sort of are already used to the rules here.
0: Yeah, Sean Doolittle said he <laughs> talked to the young guys more this year than he ever has in years combined because of uh, their them, them being used to the rules in the minor league. So, uh, certainly a, a good point there. And uh, lastly, here, Kayla, I want to talk a little bit about the API, um, terrific tournament we have. Looks like there's. Expected to be some weather. I think that makes it a very difficult handicap. Also, many of the super elite, super elites, as I like to call them, uh, Xander, Cantlay, Finau, uh, JT, Colin, don't play this tournament or play in Florida much if it's outside of the players. Um, really not fans of the uh, Bermuda grass. And, um, I think that makes it extremely complicated as well. Um, the, the first three Elevate events have been ROM, Scheffler-ROM, so as a result, I'm going to go to the the one of the big three that has not won uh, an elevated event this year and has excellent course history at Bay Hill, and that's Rory McIlroy for me.
1: You're 100% right on Rory McIlroy's excellent course history. Uh, let's His worst finish ever is a tie for 27th, which came back yep. in 2016. A win in 2018, a tie for 6th in 2019, a tie for 5th in 2020, tie for 10th in 2021, and a tie for 13th in 2022. Now, interesting about Rory here, we always know his ball striking is phenomenal here, but he's coming off of his last two starts where he lost 4.8 strokes putting and point Two nine strokes putting respectively but you uh he kind of goes through these ebbs and flows with the putter sure.
0: yeah and i think if you get enough chances from 15 feet this week and then that being uh the ball striking being key to that i think we've got a big chance with rory at uh, 10 to 1 so i appreciate it as always guys and i uh, hope you have a great rest of the day
1: Thanks, Matt. Once again, 602-260-1060 is always the number to get involved. And let's just stick here for one minute with the Arnold Palmer Invitational from Bay Hill in Orlando. Uh, Matt alluded to the weather. That is something to pay attention to. Thursday is supposed to be 10 to 15 mile per hour winds. Friday is supposed to be like steady 20 mile per hour winds with gusts up to 30 plus. So... you. We've really been trying to dissect this. Does this impact, you know, the the waves of tee times? You've asked me about this before, Bob, and it comes into play a lot at the Open Championship. What a wave you get set out in, and I don't know if it's going to have a huge impact because if it's just consistently 20 miles per hour with gusts all day long, then it doesn't matter. Or if it does matter to the afternoon tee times on Friday that get the brunt of it. So, kind of trying to maybe strategically figure out your card based. Based upon tee times so there's plenty of things to get factored into here it's a par 72 7,466 yards even without this weather element I think this is going to be one of the courses and tournaments that we're not going to expect a ton of low scores and that's kind of exciting to see we've had plenty of shootouts uh, here for a while on the PGA Tour so something that's going to test these guys in a whole other realm uh Scotty Scheffler he's now sitting at plus 950 He's the defending champion. He has one title defense so far from the WM Phoenix open. Can he do it again? Boy, he's playing really well. It's hard to overlook him. The card, though, consists of Will Zalatoris at plus 2400. Got that early in the week on the FanDuel Sportsbook app. Seems like everybody is on Will Zalatoris this week, so that would be a nice community win if we could pull that off. Keegan Bradley plus uh, 7500 and also in a top 30 for him. And going with kind of like a long shot here, Sneakily has incredible stats from 175 to 225. Tom Hoagie, top 40 at plus 140. Numbers coming to you from the FanDuel Sportsbook app. We'll wrap up our number one next. It is the Extra Point.
0: Check out KDUSAM 1060 on 100.7 KSLX HD2. That's right, HD Radio on 100.7 Channel number 2.
1: up our number one of extra point on this Wednesday March 1st. He's Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortillaro with you up until 1230 today making room for ASU women's basketball as they are playing UCLA in the Pac-12 tournament round number one. Jeff Munn on the call. Let's stick with the conversation of college hoops though and I saw Jerry Palm of CBS Sports.com's latest Bracketology Bubble Watch article here. He has Mississippi State with Wisconsin, West Virginia, and Michigan as the last four teams in to the NCAA tournament. He has Oklahoma State, Penn State, UNC, and ASU as the last or the first four teams out.
2: Yeah, uh, Linardi and our friend Carrie Miller from Bleacher Report, you know, this week actually have ASU in the tournament. But, you know, both of those are, you know, predicated on, I assume, that they're going to do something here on out. If ASU... Let's say get swept over the weekend or you know, Thursday, Saturday uh, against the LA schools, and you know, they're, they're, you know even if the uh, you know, first round of the uh, Pac-12 tournament, even if, they, if that happens, they're not going to. They may not finish fourth. They may not have a bye. Yeah, you know, they're only going to have an opportunity to really move up in the rankings. Uh, if they win either game this week or if they get to the semifinals next week because no matter who they played before then, is likely not going to be a, an opponent that's going to help them in the net at all. So we'll see what happens. You know, the Oklahoma State thing, unfortunately, we've had two really bad injuries in college basketball in the last few days. Oklahoma State, their season's pretty much over. Uh, Anderson, their point guard, was injured last weekend, and he's out for the rest of the regular season and the Big 12 tournament. He might be back for the NCAA tournament, but unfortunately, I don't think they're going to be in the NCAA tournament. Uh, I think they've lost four or five in a row now, Uh, so that's bad. And then last night, of course, um, one of the worst injuries in college basketball this season with Ziegler, the starting point guard for Tennessee, going down with what looked like a really, really bad knee injury. They were pretty reluctant to give any specifics after the game, Uh, but uh, Rick Barnes did mention that he looked like it was a pretty serious injury and they're somewhat challenged offensively when he's on the floor and uh, when he's off the floor. And I know they won last night against Arkansas, but uh, the Tennessee, you know, a lot of people are skeptical about them anyway. And uh, this is a team that's 0-7 and seven when they trail with five minutes to go in the game. And this is like a top-20 team, and they're 0-7 in that stat. That's when they're completely healthy. Uh, for the most part, and now they're less than completely healthy. They did get uh, a couple of players back last night, uh, Phillips and James, but losing, excuse me, Jones, uh, but losing Ziegler is a huge deal. That was the biggest impact last night by far in college basketball is the, the injury to Ziegler.
1: Uh, Xavier takes on Providence tonight, and Bob had a conversation with Adam Baum uh, of the Cincinnati Enquirer talking all things uh, Xavier as well as Big East hoops. So you can podcast that over at KDOS1060.com. In addition to that, number nine Texas and number twenty-two TCU square off tonight as well. Our number one is in the books. Our number two up until 1230 today gets started here just after the break. He of course is Bob Kemp. I am Kayla Mortelaro. It is. Is the extra point here on KDOS AM 1060, KDOS1060.com, and with the all new KDOS 1060 app.